This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and once again, glad you could join us. Well, founded in 1995 by a small group of claimant attorneys, the Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group, also known as WILIG, is the national nonprofit membership organization dedicated to representing the interests of millions of workers and their families who each year suffer the consequences of work-related injuries or occupational illnesses and need expert legal assistance to obtain medical care and other relief under workers' compensation programs. Today on Ringler Radio, we'll spotlight Willig and what it sees as it looks out over the legislative uh, horizon. We'll also discuss employee misclassification, and we'll also explore the biggest fraud cases of 2015, and also look at Willig's initiatives for 2016. Joining me today as my co-host is my Ringler colleague and friend, Keith Christie, from New Orleans, Louisiana. Keith has over 30 years of insurance and structured settlement experience, and he has extensive training in all areas of structured settlements. So welcome, Keith. Welcome to Ringler Radio. Glad you could be my co-host. All right. Let me just say thanks, Larry. Great to be here. Well, joining us today as our special guest is attorney John R. Boyd from the law firm of Boyd, Kenter, Thomas, and Parrish in Independence, Missouri. J.R. has been a member of Willig since its creation in 1995, served as its president from 2011 to 2012, and is currently vice president. He also waited 30 years, I think over 30 years maybe, to watch his Kansas City Royals win the World Series in grand fashion. And uh, you can't find uh, out more about J.R. and Willig uh, than than that. So, uh, J.R., welcome to the show and uh, we're certainly glad to have you here, and I'm so happy that your Royals made you feel good the last uh, couple of years. Thank you very much, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here. And, yes, watching the Royals win was a great pleasure because I got to go back and revisit what I did with my dad in 85, and he and I got to watch it again uh, last year. It was a real that's, treat. That's terrific. That's what, makes, uh, that's what makes it all worthwhile. Well, I just want to tell our audience that later in the program we'll be joined by Alan Pierce, who's the current president of Willig, but... Uh, JR is going to take us through the first half. And JR, why don't you tell us about Willig, uh, what your current role is, and how you got involved with the organization? Give us a little bit of background. Sure thing. Um, Willig was started in 95, as you pointed out, and I've been a member since that time. And one of the primary reasons is because my father uh, was one of the founders of the organization and encouraged me to become a member. And I kind of watched it grow very steadily over the years through its ups and downs. And it has really been uh, a steamrolling force as of late. Uh, my involvement with the organization really started up when Bob DeRose, a past president, pulled me aside in San Antonio and said, hey, I want you to become involved. And so I did. And after that, the rest was history. I uh, became active on the executive committee and eventually became the president in 2011-2012. 
it, it's a wonderful experience. And when you're closer with a national group of attorneys than you are with your own state or local uh, bar association, it says a lot about how tightly knit uh, this group is, and what a wonderful group of people we have in the organization. Let's take a look back to last year's Willick developed a national task force and strategy for opt-out. Can you tell our audience about opt-out in detail, please? Sure thing. Um, first of all, the genesis of opt-out really starts in Texas, where they have what they call non-subscriber plans. And what it essentially means is that employers, if they so choose, can opt out or not be a subscriber to the workers' compensation laws uh, in that particular state. And so what has happened is that there's a particular individual out of uh, the Dallas area uh, with a group called Partner Source who is pushing these plans across the United States. And what they do is allow employers to say, you know what, we don't want to be involved with state-administered uh, workers' comp plan. We want to go ahead and create our own plan, which we claim will be just as beneficial and as nice to the injured workers as the current systems are. And that's the fallacy of these uh, systems. And right now, Oklahoma had adopted uh, the opt-out system. It was introduced in Tennessee this year and got shot down. South Carolina has been investigating the possibility as well. In a nutshell, though, what ended up happening just this last week was that the Oklahoma Industrial Commission, which is the, uh, effectively the intermediate step between the judges and then moving into the courts of appeals, found that the Oklahoma opt-out system uh, was unconstitutional and didn't provide the same level of benefits that their own work comp laws provide. And so what you have to understand about these opt-out programs, and this is what we saw a long time ago within the organization, is that this is going to appeal to the business and insurance community. And the reason it does is because it's all about saving money. And they tout these as alternative employee benefit plans, but the reality is they're employee benefit reduction plans and employers benefit from them because of the hard and fast rules that apply for uh, arbitration provisions that are included. And in the case that was just uh, handled out of uh, Oklahoma, Bob Burke, who is a member of Willig, has done a monumental job of taking this matter up and so far has proved victorious in demonstrating that when, when you've got a smoke and mirrors system, is touted as being a wonderful alternative, when you start to look through that veil, you realize it, it's, a, it's a farce, and it does not provide the level of benefits under any circumstances that existing systems do provide to injured workers. Well, have you found that uh, certain state governments, when, when, when the opt-out plans are being promoted, uh, are, are there advocates for the, for the state plans that are speaking up, or is the... Are there interests that are kind of promoting the opt-outs that uh, are getting the upper hand? Well, that, that, that's a multifaceted question, but the easiest way to answer it is this. Yes, there are clearly certain business interests and certain legislators of a particular bend who really find that these systems would be so much more enjoyable and beneficial to their business supporters, for lack of better words. Now, the, the interesting thing is that a lot of this opt-out legislation and a lot of the momentum and impetus behind these changes 
comes from ALEC, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council, and that's a Koch Brothers-funded organization, lots of other multi-billion dollar corporations, and what they do is they create model legislation that they spew out across the United States, especially to attack unions, organized labor, work comp systems, everything. And so what you will notice a lot of times are that the entities within the legislatures who are uh, proposing this legislation are Behind the scenes are members of ALEC, and they're having their strings pulled. But here, here's the interesting thing. Insurance has actually come out against opt-out because they are realizing that the property casualty insurance, which is the highest grossing insurance in the United States, more money is made off of a property casualty than any other line of insurance. And what they're deathly afraid of is that when you start taking out work comp insurance and replacing it with these other opt-out plans, they're cut out of the loop. So that saying about politics makes strange bedfellows, well, in this particular case, we have seen that very situation arise where we've had national figures within the insurance industry coming in and saying, whoa, 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 even we foresee a problem with this. Now, is it the altruistic we think that injured workers are going to be harmed. I don't think so. This is really a question of money for them. But in this case, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and that's exactly what we're finding with regard to opt-out. Well, that's interesting in, its, in itself. Well, you know, another important issue, uh, Jr., is employee misclassification. Uh, how has Willig helped identify the issue, and how do they deal with the issue? Uh, why don't you tell us? Absolutely. Well, misclassification, just so that the listeners understand, is when you have a particular business model set up where it can be construction or whatever uh, industry, but what they do is instead of listing their workers as actual employees, you know, issuing a W-2, withholding taxes, things like that, they misclassify these workers as independent contractors. Now, why is that so important? Well, misclassification uh, takes away tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars of tax revenues for not only the states, but also the federal government. Because when you're not withholding unemployment, when you're not withholding Medicare, Social Security, and a lot of other taxes, those revenues are lost on a local and a national basis. So the misclassification issue is something that was long ago picked up on by several members in our organization. Uh, one of the individuals who's been kind of the primary driver behind that is a stalwart within the organization who's been here since day one, a guy by the name of Lynn Jernigan, who is out of North Carolina. Now, the wonderful thing is about facts is that no matter how much you want them to be different, they are what they are. And so they can be harmful or they can be helpful. But here's the hard data that Len has compiled along with help from several others over the last couple of years. For example, in 2014, there was the, the top 10. These are just the top 10 cases. $75 million in total fraud. Now, out of that, only $450,000 was considered employee fraud. Well, JR, let's talk about uh, the fraud, these fraud cases. I know misclassification uh, kind of leads into that realm, but let's talk about some of the big fraud cases that, are, that you've been seeing over the last uh, year of 2015. Sure. In 2015, uh, 
what we saw was that for the just the top 10 cases of workers' comp fraud in the United States, this was documented by our friend within Willig, a gentleman by the name of Lynn Jernigan, a stalwart and one of the deans of the North Carolina trial bar. What he found when he took just the hard numbers in terms of the amount of fraud that was perpetrated on the work comp system, there was $849,500,000 in fraud in 2015 alone. Now, the ironic thing is you hear business and industry and insurance frequently yelling and screaming that there's just rampant employee fraud. Well, here's the, the ironic thing about that statement, which is not borne out by facts. In 2015, $1.5 million was employee-related fraud relating to one case. The other $848 million, employer fraud. And what we're finding, again, is that misclassification ties into this particular issue where, again, people are defrauding businesses, I should say, are defrauding state and local governments and committing fraud. Uh, Florida, for example, just had a humongous sting operation that went through uh, with a company called Richard and Rice Construction, LLC. And what they had found was that this company had created 20 shell companies to hide employee wages. Well, as we all know, employee wages and payroll information serve as an indicator to an insurer as to premiums that they will need to charge a business. Well, by, by misclassifying these people and saying, well, instead of uh, 100 employees, I've only got five because the rest are independent contractors, what are they able to do? Well, this is the, the model that you will find throughout the country, which is by misclassifying people and committing this fraud, you're able to undercut legitimate businesses, and especially the big contractors, by 20 30% because your payroll is less, your insurance is less. And so effectively what they're doing is subjecting all the legitimate businesses that follow the law to a process where they simply cannot win when you're undercut and it's being perpetrated by this fraud by these contractors and other businesses. So the misclassification and the fraud ultimately ties together in a, in a big way. So even though misclassification is just one part of the fraud, the fraud issue itself, again, the data does not support any of these allegations that it's rampant employee fraud. How can you say 1.5 million out of 849 million is rampant fraud? Well, that's the reason why we have folks like you on the air to, to kind of clear things up, uh, some misconceptions that are out there. That's always important in this process. And another important point that uh, you've raised, and, and your, I know your group has raised, is the cost transference to the American citizens. Uh, and away from property casualty insurers by some of these some of these methods you're talking about, whether it's opt outs or uh, et cetera. Tell us about that that transference away from uh, the PNC companies to to the to the public. Absolutely, I would love. And this one holds a little bit of a special place uh, because during my term as president of the organization, we had a 40th anniversary celebration of the 1972 National Commission on Workers' Compensation. The reason that that's important is that that 72 commission was federally mandated investigation into the adequacy of state work comp. And we had several of the original members of that particular uh, panel 
who came to us in Chicago and spoke to us and presented us with the hard data about this particular situation, which is that cost transference beginning in about the late 80s, early 90s, the data again bears out that what we have seen is that the costs, or I should say the benefits paid by employers in the property casualty insurance industry has been on a steady decline since about 1990. At the same time, the public welfare system in terms of payouts has gone in the exact opposite direction in an upward fashion every year since the 1990s. So what does this tell us? Well, the National Academy of Social Insurance is the entity that put this together and presented the data to us at that 72 or at this panel meeting in 2012 in Chicago. Everybody there was rather floored even though this is what we had all suspected. But here was the data, and NACI, as it's called, is an impartial organization. They don't have a political agenda. They just look at the data, analyze it, and then say, here's what's going on. And they've been doing this for years. And Professor Burton, who was the chair of that 72 commission, was at this panel presentation and talked about this and said, you know, I forecasted this a long time ago. And here, what you're seeing is Medicare... Medicaid, other state welfare programs, when people are no longer covered under a workers' comp program and you have employers saying, well, this isn't a work-related injury or illness, go elsewhere, they are relegated to a couple of avenues. Either they get it through their health insurance, which oftentimes will say, well, if this is work-related, we're not going to pay because we have a policy exclusion. So what does that injured worker do? Well, a lot of times they have to apply for Medicaid or they have to apply for Medicare. Medicare has taken a huge interest in this, especially as it relates to workers' comp, because they do not want to be paying any sort of benefits, or or I should say, if, if an individual has to seek medical care, they don't want to be paying for that treatment. Why? Because they're saying it's a responsibility of the property casualty insurers and workers come. And so here's the hard data saying, hey, folks, our federal system and our state systems are picking up all of these costs while employer costs and payouts to the workers continue to decrease. So who's picking up the tab here is the American public, regardless of whether you're an independent, a Democrat, a Republican, whatever political striping you may have, everybody's picking up the bill. And the people don't know that they're being fleeced by these businesses who are effectively saying, you can work for us, but how dare you get injured while working for me? Because if you do, I'm pushing you out the door and I want you to seek care elsewhere. It's not my responsibility. That's not what the grand bargain was about 100 years ago. The whole point of the system was to protect these workers and not shove that responsibility elsewhere. No question about it. But you know what? In this in this election season, we have I think I think the American public is beginning to learn, just as you've you've described. Uh, they're beginning to learn more and more about some of the things that they've kind of taken for granted that are just the way they are, and they're kind of questioning things now. And I think uh, as you've raised some issues here today, uh, it feeds right into that same that same uh, scenario where. Where we're, we're questioning uh, huge trade deficits and we're questioning uh, $500 hammers at the Pentagon. And we're starting to question whether or not, uh, you know, 
the primary payer responsibility of workers' comp is getting passed on to Medicaid and Medicare and, and all of us as, as the public uh, because of manipulation in the system itself. So I, I think it's important that Willig and folks like yourself bring these issues to the attention of the public, and that's exactly what we're trying to do here on Ringler Radio with you today. So, Jr., with that, what have you taken away from Willig as you've uh, moved forward with your career there and uh, you're now a vice president? We're going to be speaking to Alan Pierce shortly. Uh, give us a little bit of insight on what you've taken away as you, as you move forward. Well, probably the best thing that I can uh, state is that in terms of a takeaway, it's that you have got a solid safety net with a thousand brothers and sisters across the United States who all stand with you shoulder to shoulder, ready to fight the fight. And these people aren't just dabblers. These are hardcore practitioners who believe in protecting injured workers and their families. I wouldn't have been doing this for 21 years now, which seems like a long time, uh, but I wouldn't have been doing it for this long if I didn't believe in making sure that people who have legitimate injuries are taken care of by the system that was set up to take care of them. And so I look at the national organization, when I look at Willig and where it was in 1995 and where it is now, where we've got entities like ProPublica, where we've got the White House that has reached out to us for help on workers' comp, I realize that people are finally taking notice of the, the important issue that is workers' compensation and how it touches so many aspects of the average lives of every working individual in the United States, their families, as we've just pointed out, Medicare, Medicaid, everything is in, uh, involved in terms of workers' comp. And so I'm very proud of what the organization has done in a 21st year and just love, love the organization. And if you're a work comp practitioner or, or not a member, you're doing a disservice to your clients if you're not a member because you will find, like I said, brothers and sisters who believe in the cause. And that's that's just the greatest thing. Well, that's very well said, and you've uh, certainly been serving the cause for uh, quite a few years now. And uh, before we say goodbye to you, Jr., if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would, how would they do that if they wanted to speak to you about any of this? Well, let's see. Probably the easiest way if they wanted to reach me would be to call me uh, at my office number. It's 816-471-4511. Uh, although my name is John, uh, my dad also practices with me, and his name is John as well. So the easiest way to reach me is you just ask for JR, kind of like in Who Shot. Uh, who who shot JR? <laughs> exactly. I haven't been shot lately. Or you can reach me at my uh, email address, which is Boyd at bktplaw.com, and you can visit us on the website as well, which is www.bktplaw.com. Terrific. Well, Jr., you've been inspirational this morning. Uh, you speak in, you're speaking so uh, so passionately about Willig and, and, and the workers' compensation system in America. I think that's terrific. We're going to say goodbye to you now, and uh, in just a quick moment, we're going to take a quick break and return with the uh, president of Willig, Alan Pierce, We'll be right back with him right after this break. But, uh, again, Jr. thanks a lot, and uh, have a great day. Thank you, Larry, and good luck to the Red Sox, but not <laughs> too much good luck. I hear you. Bye-bye, and good luck to the Royals. Bye-bye. Take care. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. 
Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit ringlerassociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. And, of course, joining me today is my co-host, Keith Christie, and our special guest, Alan Pierce. And Alan is the current president of Willig and an attorney with Pierce, Pierce, and Napolitano in Salem, Massachusetts, and a good friend of the show. Welcome, uh, Alan. Great to have you back on Ringler Radio. Yeah, thank you, Larry. Good to be back. Terrific. Alan, why don't you tell us uh, about your priorities as the president of Willig as you as you take the reins? My priorities uh, uh, are these. Um, I see, looking back over the history of workers' compensation in the last 100-plus years in the United States, we can see that there have been various um, eras, uh, the beginning era as, as the, as the uh, statute evolved and developed, and then we sort of got into the middle part of the 20th century and, and uh, shortcomings of the workers' comp systems as they existed around the country uh, became apparent. The National Commission was formed in the early 70s and came out with recommendations, which led to what I, I call and others have called the modern era of workers' comp. And, and as now 30, 40 plus years have transpired and economy has changed, politics have changed. Uh, we're now, I believe, in another era of workers' comp where the integrity of the system of workers' compensation is being threatened. Uh, I know you've, you've had a discussion with J.R. Boyd uh, regarding, regarding various alternative plans that are being promulgated, which are commonly known as opt-out plans. There has also been, from the perspective of injured workers and the advocates of injured workers, really a, a good 20 or more years of a watering down of benefits, uh, changes in the way legislatures and policymakers are viewing workers' compensation. Uh, of course, now we have a debate, a national debate on medical care so, uh, and single payer uh, and the Affordable Care Act, and there's some issues as to what effect the development of those concepts are going to have. So I see the role of a Willig in, in, in my role as, as making sure our colleagues are aware of these impending changes so that we can get out in front of them. And I, as I said, when I was installed as president, uh, I practice at the Department of Industrial Accidents in Boston. And Every day when I get off the elevator, there's this huge window overlooking the north end, and I walk by this window every day. I very rarely look out except to, uh, you know, uh, see if the sun is shining or not, although I've just come in, so I pretty much know that. But as I walk by that window, I walk by the old north church, 
And I don't pay attention to it the way many of us who live near historical monuments uh, uh, take them for granted. But I'm reminded about the old Longfellow poem, one if by land and two if by sea, and I am the other show will be ready to ride and spread the alarm to every middle stick village and farm. And I, I kind of see my role um, as somebody uh, and willing as an organization that has an obligation to let the our colleagues in the other 49 states or all 50 states uh, know of what is coming out there um, and, and, and to make sure we are aware of these issues and are prepared to defend these issues and defend the integrity of the workers' comp system. No question. No question about it. And that's what Willig does so well. And uh, it's great that you're uh, you're in the leadership seat uh, as we move forward. I, I will tell you, though, uh, Alan, that when I walk by the, the old North Church, uh, what it tells me is I'm pretty close to Mike's pastries. I'm going to get some cannolis uh, pretty quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, thanks, Alan. Uh, you know, as far as your priorities that you mentioned, you know, what are the initiatives for 2016 for Willick? What about those issues in the area of workers' compensation? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, we have been recognized as a, a as a credible national voice, uh, so that I've noticed uh, just during the four or so months of my my term, but even coming into it, we are being contacted um, weekly by the specialty press, the various uh, podcasts, and and uh, internet. Um, uh, journals that write on workers' comp commentary. Uh, we have just published a, a white paper called The Status of Workers' Compensation. We have delivered a copy of that to the Secretary of Labor in Washington. We have been invited to participate in a variety of forums, the, the big yearly uh, annual conference of the Workers' Comp Research Institute. Uh, we have a seat at that table and that we are on a panel uh, discussing opt-out. Uh, we recently came back from National Academy of Social Insurance, NASI, in Washington, where there was a, a, a panel discussion. Uh, there's a national summit being called on workers' comp at Rutgers University in May. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of traveling to the various states, especially coming up down south, uh, several of the states that are facing the prospect of opt-out legislation. In addition, we publish, obviously, a, a, a magazine for our members called Workers First Watch, but we are launching a, a page uh, called For the Public, where we are going to be able to have links for various uh, members of the public, uh, claimants, injured workers, other attorneys, uh, that will have, hopefully, some helpful links uh, to individual state uh uh, summary of their statutes, frequently asked questions, contact information, et cetera. That's great. And, of course, last year, Willig increased uh, the social media presence with a new Twitter page, and you I know you invigorated uh, the Willig Facebook and LinkedIn pages. How are you using all these social media outlets to uh, reach new members? Well, Larry, I know how old you are, and you know how old I am. And uh, <laughs> Uh, this whole world of social media is something that I'm just really catching up on a little bit. I think I have a t personal Twitter account. I've never tweeted or tweeted, and I don't know how to do it. Um, but uh, we recognize that uh, the, the way people communicate, I mean, this, this doesn't really need to be said, but the, the, the method and manner of communication has changed greatly. And you're right, social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, is a way a lot of people get their information. Uh, we have hired a 
social media and marketing director Kaylee Hickey, who has done a marvelous job of, as you said, updating our website, uh, uh, putting links and uh, podcasts on there, putting uh, articles on there, same thing on our Facebook page. And, and a key part of it will be this for the public uh, page, um, which will be available through various media, uh, social media, uh, so that we can communicate with each other. And, of course, we have a, a list serve for our members where we exchange information, ask questions, and provide some guidance on um, individual matters that is, you know, obviously a, a part of the membership. Uh, but workers' comp is such an, an interesting field. It touches so many people's lives, business, employer, but our insurance industry, employers, injured workers, adjudicators, and we're all in it together. And the sharing of information is essential. So um, we're we're attempting to to harness the energy of social media. Well, you're going to you're going to be brought to a kick. You're going to be brought to a kicking and screaming, Alan. I can tell you. Well, right that's now. exactly you're, it. I mean, I, gonna... I, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I once I learned how to fax something, the fax machine became obsolete. <laughs> so you, oh. you know what I'm talking about. Oh well, yeah. Well, you know, I think we just got rid of our party line on the phone at home. I mean, a party was, line. Yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> that takes me back. So, Alan Willick has been in existence since 1995. What do you think needs to change in the workers' compensation arena? I believe a lot of people uh, and a lot of influential people have lost sight of the original mandate of workers' compensation. Um, They don't look at, I mean, look at the title. It is workers' compensation. And as we know, it developed to replace uh, the old common law remedy where if a, a person got hurt at work, they had to prove their employer was at fault and then they had to sue the employer. And nobody, nobody benefited from that system. And it has seemed to me that over the last 20 or 30 or 40 years, workers' compensation has, is being viewed as just simply another benefit provided by an employer uh, for its employees. And it We've sort of lost sight of the fact that it exists for the for the benefit of the injured worker and his family. As originally enacted, uh, there are phrases that have crept into the early court decisions that it is a humanitarian act, uh, that it is a, a beneficent design, uh, that it should be uh, adjudicated and construed liberally. And I, I, I don't think any of our courts have meant that just because you make a claim, you automatically win it. Uh, and there is still the burden of proof, and there still is the adjudicatory process where the insurer and the employee both have to assert their claims and defenses and prove it to an independent fact finder. But in in the administration and delivery of these benefits, there seems to me have been a diminution of the the humanitarian nature of the act and the beneficent design of the act that uh, the injured workers uh, have to fight harder for their for these hard-earned remedies and rights and they are under constant attack in legislatures around the country in dealing with the increased costs of workers comp which primarily have been on the medical side something beyond the control of the injured worker rather than seeking creative ways of making the system uh, affordable and fair they seem to just Take, take the attitude of, well, let's cut this benefit here. Let's reduce the benefits there. Let's rein in the definition of what is or what is not a personal injury. And I think that's wrong. Uh, I think there are other ways of making this a fair, balanced system for everybody. 
because we know if it, if we know if it's out of balance, it, it it isn't good. If it's if it's too out of balance in favor of the injured worker, then premiums rise, and it right. creates a crisis. So that, that's course, a challenge. And of course, that's one of the reasons and and the rationales for having uh, good legal representation when sometimes uh, you know the system is not treating the uh, the employee fairly. So how is Willig educating the legal community on uh, on this whole? arena these days and, and and really trying to keep that fairness back in the system well one of one of the ways uh one of the initiatives that we started this year is every state has a trial lawyers uh, uh, uh association in massachusetts is a mass academy of trial attorneys uh every state has a local pla and the the trial lawyer associations usually um, um cover uh, tort lawyers as well as workers' comp lawyers, and in every TLA, uh, uh, virtually everyone, there is a, a workers' comp section or committee. And what we have done is we have a an email list of all the workers' comp chairs of these committees, so that our what we've been trying to do is to get this information out from Willig to the 50 states and their respective workers' comp committees. Pretty much all of them have listserv. They all have contact with their individual clients. A lot of them have blogs and newsletters, et cetera, so that when something important comes down, such as uh, the constitutional challenge to workers' comp in Florida or the opt-out problems uh, that are in Oklahoma and spreading in some other states, that we're trying to get out in front of that and disseminate that news and that information down to the individual state workers' comp committees and then, if necessary, to mobilize their clients. Um, when and if necessary. So that, that's one way of, of mm-hmm. getting the word out. Well, that, that's, that's good. And, of course, that's what organizations like Willig are very good at. Uh, and, of course, every time a new leader steps in, a new president steps in, they have their own personal uh, – they put their own personal stamp on the organization. So uh, I know that with you in charge, it's going uh, to be moving forward and helping uh, the system get all, get all the unfairness out and, and, and get some real stability back in. You know, Alan, before we close here today, uh, I had asked J.R. Boyd the same question a little earlier, uh, and I guess it's just an overall uh, question for you. What have you taken away from your work with Willig? Uh, You know, what is it? What has it taught you? And and, and how do you how do you use what you're what you're doing now to really help you as you move forward? What have you taken away from Willig? Now that that is a great question, and I uh, I'm interested to hear Jr's answer because he was a very very effective president several years ago. All right, I am reminded uh, as a student of workers' comp history and the origins of an organized claimant bar. Our genesis really came from an organization. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called NACA. It's no longer in existence. It's the National Association of Compensation Claimant Attorneys, NACCA. It was founded in the late 1940s by a group of visionary advocates for injured workers, including my mentor, law professor Samuel Horvitz of Boston, Ben Marcus of Detroit, half a dozen others that formed an organization recognizing the need for those of us who work and labor daily for the interests and rights of injured workers to somehow get together, share knowledge, educate each other, become better lawyers, and therefore become better advocates. NACA subsequently became an organization known as ATLA, the Association of Trial Lawyers of America, which is now known as AAJ, and has primarily focused on the civil aspect of workers' comp, so that Willig was formed 20 years ago because we were facing the 
the uh, what we call the the form of workers' comp. I, um, as I mentioned earlier, the wholesale reduction of benefits in 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 uh, reaction to rising costs. So that I have found that my predecessors, as uh, former presidents, as well as my colleagues on the board, and just the average day-to-day member of Willig share the same zeal, compassion, and passion that was present in the 40s that formed the first national effective voice for injured workers and their advocates. And I see that that like Phoenix rising from the ashes. Uh, My colleagues have that, and I I think I benefit from that, and uh, I share that with them. And as younger lawyers coming into the system, and I have a son who's been in practice with me now for 15 years, and his peers, uh, I find that unless they see and understand that it's not simply just representing an injured worker in his or her case and doing the best job you can, you have to have an appreciation for what we have to do and how we how we do it and i have found among my colleagues the same degree of passion and empathy uh that existed 60 or 70 years ago when NACA was formed so i'm very pleased to be able to do what i can to continue that legacy well you know what uh, i i can hear the energy in your voice you're really looking forward to uh doing some great things with willig and uh, that's great for uh, for everyone involved in the uh, the workers' comp arena. So uh, we give you a lot of kudos on that, and we wish you the best as you move forward. And, uh, Alan, with that as a closing comment, if someone wanted to get a hold of you or, or learn more about Willig, how would they do that? Well, uh, all right. My, well, you, I can always be reached in my office in Salem, Mass., which is 978-745-0914. Willig's website is uh, www.wilg. Don't tell me where the name Willie comes out of W-I-L-G. We're missing a vowel. <laughs> I think are. we need Vanna White, but it's www.wilg.org. And my website is uh, PPN Law, Pierce, Pierce, Napolitanolaw.com. And uh, we'd be terrific. happy to uh, answer any questions. And I encourage our uh, listeners to uh, get in touch with Alan to learn more or go to the website to learn more about Willig. It's, a, it's an organization that's certainly worth your time and, and effort. And with that, I'd like to just say that if uh, any of you out there listening want to get a hold of any Ringler associate to help you with structured settlements, to help uh, resolve a workers' comp matter or, or, or a liability matter or any other kind, you can always get us on ringlerassociates.com. And, of course, you can hear every Ringler Radio show on Ringler Radio, uh, ringlerassociates.com and ringlerradio.com. And, of course, legaltalknetwork.com. Or you can go to iTunes and download directly from iTunes onto your uh, your iPod, or your iPad, and uh, you'll listen at your leisure. And uh, you can hear Alan and uh, J.R. Boyd talk about Willig and uh, hear many, many other shows as well. So with that, I'll, I'll say, Alan, thanks again for joining us today. It's a pleasure always. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Larry. Terrific. And to all the rest of you out there, go have a great day. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio with over a million listeners. Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. Today.